All right, as, uh, as we keep going, I'm super excited. We've got a guest speaker in today, and I'm going to introduce him in a second. But as I do that, uh, we're going to take the offering, because usually we take it during the message, and we thought, Steve, you don't need to worry about taking the offering. We'll take it for you. So I know you haven't heard much yet, but just give a lot, right? <laughs> Trust me, I'm going to tell you, he's going to be great. I know you wait for the sermon to say, it was Wilson a $5 or 20 No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, we, our offering is going to be passed, and most people... Do it this way. They give digitally. So if you want to put something in the pouch, you can do that. But you're really our guest. And if you are a part of this place, you say, man, I want to jump in on mission. That's the easiest way to do it. That's how we do it. It's safe and secure. And we just have it come out every month because we want that to honor God financially as well. So we, we welcome you to join us in that. And, uh, but no pressure, but we'd love you uh, to join us. So here, here's what I got to tell you about our speaker. Speaker is Steve Carter. He's a pastor. He's an author. Uh, he's a husband, he's a dad, but here's what really impressed me this weekend. We just got back from Man Up. Steve spoke there Friday night, Steve spoke there Saturday morning, and then we went into competition mode. You know what happens at Man Up? All the campuses compete against each other for the Man Up code, and I, or Man Up uh, uh, trophy. It's a really ugly trophy. I'll never let you see it, but it's, it's coveted, and there's war at Man Up, and you've got to win that thing, and Orion hasn't won it in several years, but let me tell you, we won it this year, baby. Well, it's not confirmed yet. They're still adding up the numbers, but we were told when we left that we were way ahead. But let me tell you something. Steve Carter comes in. Who cares if he could speak? Who cares if he's a pastor? I can tell you this. The dude's got game. The dude's got game. He played basketball in college, so we have dodgeball Friday night. And I got to be honest, I wasn't even going to play football because I'm like, I don't have Cody this year. We're not going to win this thing. And then I go to dodgeball, and I watch our young athletes destroy every campus. We got first and second place in dodgeball. And I'm looking at these young guys. I'm like, I'm staying because they need somebody to get them the ball. I can't run, but I can get them the ball. And then I see Carter. He comes, he gets done speaking. You know how most speakers are? They speak, they go to their little room where they meet with God, you know, and nobody sees them and smoke comes out and then they come out and they speak. Not this dude. He walks in the gym at 10 p.m. on Friday night in Michigan gear, everything on him. I think his underwear has an M on it. I'm not kidding. Everything he wore is Michigan. And he walks in, he's like, dude, can I play? I'm like, yeah, you're speaking at Orient. You're on the Orient team. So he's in, and we win, and he's running all over the place. And then he wants to play football. And I'm like, okay, he's a speaker dude from Chicago. Can he play? This dude, we don't win the football without Steve Carter. I'm telling you, he was my Cody. He was awesome. And Alex Borglin, I mean, it was impressive. And trust me, people are weeping and crying, Clarkston, when we beat him in the final. <laughs> Come on, you gotta give a cheer for that. I came home so excited. I lost my voice. So give it up for the MVP of Man Up, Steve Carter. You're awesome. Wow. It is an honor to be here. Um, like Pastor Dave said, um, I, I'm, I'm married. Uh, my wife is named Sarah. We moved seven months ago to Phoenix, Arizona. That's where I met my wife. Um, and we. I now refer to Arizona as Sarazona. Uh, it's been good to me. And I've got an 11-year-old son named Emerson. Um, he looks like Gene Hackman. Not sure how that happened. Um, I've got a, a six-year-old daughter named Mercy June Carter because we're huge Johnny Cash fans. Yeah, and if you know Johnny Cash's story, a guy who was just going off the rails, but there was this woman by the name of June Carter and who really embodied the mission of Kensington. 
to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. And, and that, that led her to Johnny, and she just began to showcase grace and truth, and all of a sudden, Johnny's life uh, was transformed by Jesus. And so when you've got the last name Carter and you know you're having a girl, you gotta throw in the word June somewhere. And then my son came up and said, I think her name ought to be Mercy. And we're like, you, what does that word even mean? And he goes, it is the gift that God gives. And I was like, preach, son. And so we, uh, we named our daughter Mercy June Carter. I believe in the power of stories. And what I wanna to do today is I wanna tell you a story that I think many of you are familiar with in this room. But what I wanna do is I wanna kind of unpack a story that, like I said, you are all familiar with, but maybe from a different angle. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Acts 22. It'll be up on the screen, but it says this in verse 12. Paul, this man that we know who's written much of the New Testament, He's telling his story in front of a large crowd of people. And he says this one sentence that has just captured me. He says this in verse 12. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. A man by the name of Ananias came to see me. And this interaction is where Saul experiences transformation. This conversation is where Saul recognizes that he was put on this planet for something that he did not even think was possible. And what I want to do is I want to talk about the story of, of Paul's conversion or Saul's conversion through the lens of Ananias. So let's turn to Acts chapter 9, and we'll start reading. It says this, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. So in the city of Damascus, which is 150 miles from Jerusalem, there is this disciple. In Hebrew, the word disciple is Talmudim, and it means someone who is devoted and someone who has high desire to be like their rabbi. And so Ananias, 150 miles from Jerusalem, is this guy who is passionate to be like Jesus. And all of a sudden, God comes to him in a vision and says, Ananias, and his response is so beautiful, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Can I just tell you this? I believe that every moment and every environment that we are walking into is filled and is brimming with redemptive potential. I believe that every environment that you walk into, God is already there. And God is looking to use everyday Ananiases to do his work. Constantly trying to prompt you, constantly trying to whisper to you, constantly trying to get your attention so that you can actually do his work. And it starts when you hear that whisper, when you feel that vision, when you sense God's presence, that your first response would be, yes, Lord. A number of years ago, I found myself in Bujumbura, Burundi. 
I went there because we had raised a bunch of money here in the U.S. and we were bringing it over to some women in Bujumbura, the capital city of Burundi. And what we were going to do is we were going to help finance some businesses for them. But the problem was the government. It's always the government. And what was happening is the government wasn't giving us clearance to give all of these funds to these women to help bless their families, bless their city, bless their churches. And, and there were three government officials that we were trying to get a hold of. And so we show up for this meeting. I flew through the night. I, I get in super late to Bujumbura. I show up to this meeting. I'm exhausted. And there's about nine of us in the room. And the guy who's leading the meeting, he's a leader. He's strong. And he's looking for ideas on how we are going to get to these three people. And nobody's got a good idea. And because he's such a seasoned leader, he doesn't want to waste his time. And he goes, none of you have good ideas. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm dismissing you because I don't want to waste my time. But here's the deal. You're going to join me at 7 p.m. tonight for dinner. And every one of you better have one good idea because we have a lot of money that we need to give to these women. And we need good ideas. So meeting's dismissed. I get my backpack, <clears throat> I start walking back, I look at my friend, I go, hey, what are you gonna do? And he goes, I'm gonna take a nap. I was like, ah, God does speak in visions. And so I, I go to the hotel room and I'm putting my bag down and I'm trying to figure out what to do and I have the weirdest prompting, go for a run. I don't like to run. I think it's, I don't understand runners at all. I don't know why you would just wanna wake up and go run. And, and yet I feel this sense, like, go for a run. I don't know Bujumbura. I've never been to Burundi before, so I put on some basketball shorts, and I just start to go for a run. I make a right. I just walk running through kind of downtown Bujumbura. I'm probably running for about 10 minutes when I come to the center of Bujumbura, and there's this kind of massive park with this basketball court, and there's about 500 people around a basketball court. And so I just decide to walk up and watch the game that's happening. And I'm standing there, and I'm there maybe 30 seconds when some guy walks up to me, and he pokes me, and he goes, you good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm all right, man. He goes, no, 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 you good in basketball. And I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm okay. He goes, no, no, no. If I choose you, do we win? <laughs> now, like Dave said, I love competition, and I did play college basketball. Play's probably not the right word. I sat at the bench, but I did get free shoes. And so I, I'm sitting here, and I'm a pastor. I don't want to lie. And I'm like, I've been scouting for a little 30 seconds, and I'm like, yeah, I think you choose me. I think we'll be okay. And he goes, okay, hey, you, you're out. You're in now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm not, I haven't even had time to stretch. And we start playing. And I kid you not, for the next 90 minutes, we go six and oh, we win. And they bring a basket of Burundi dollars. I didn't know I had joined the Burundi Basketball Association, <laughs> but I did add that to my LinkedIn account. And like, I, I'm like standing there, I'm like, I don't need your money. The guy comes up to me and goes, tomorrow, or tomorrow, same time, championship game, we need you. And I'm like, I, I, no man, I, I'm, I'm here because... I, I, like, I got these meetings. I, this was just a, a freak accident that I was able to play. He goes, who are your meetings with? I'm like, well, you know, here's the deal. Like, we raised all this money, trying to give it to these women, but we can't get through to these three government officials. He goes, what are their names? I named the three guys. He goes, I'm the second one. <laughs> and in this moment, 
All I want to say is, hey, check your email, bro. Why can't you call a guy back? And all of a sudden he goes, here's my deal. Tomorrow, you win game, I take meeting. Now, if you've ever wondered what God's favorite sport is, I'm here to tell you it's basketball. And, I, and so I, I got to go back to the meeting where everyone's got to bring their one good idea. So I was like, oh, David, tell me your idea. Bad. Oh, you know, you want to get up early, maybe catch the government officials before they walk in? That's not going to happen. I'm like, yeah. and they're like, okay, Carter, what do you think? I said, God loves the game of basketball. I tell him this story. The guy leading the meeting goes, hey, you go to your room right now. You order whatever you want. You win that game. <laughs> we win the game. They take the meeting. Why do I tell you that story? Because it's so bizarre. And because it's so God, I want to tell you that God wants to use you, that God has stories for you, stories in the marketplace, stories in your neighborhood, stories within your family, stories that he wants to give to you. But here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. When he whispers, you've got to be like Ananias and be willing to say yes. This might be heretical, but I think God constantly is giving us invitations and opportunities. But here's the thing. Many times people are so busy, so distracted, or so afraid that they say no. And then God goes to somebody else. And what happens when they say no? God goes to somebody else. And what happens when they say no? God goes to somebody else. And what ends up happening is our cities our counties, our states, our countries, our world, and all of eternity suffers. And can you imagine if we all in this room, when God whispers, our first response was, yes, Lord. And when you start to say yes to God, watch out. Because the faith adventures that he takes you on will absolutely revolutionize your life, but it will also always lead to people. Because this is what God's all about. People, people, people. Let's go back to the story. Verse 10, verse 11 says this. The Lord told Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So here, all of a sudden, Ananias says, yes, Lord, God gives him instructions. Have you ever had one of those moments? You said yes to God's prompting and then God gives you some instruction. I have a buddy, he's a car salesman. He works in Chicago for the local Nissan dealer and, and they, they were coming to the end of their month. And if they sold eight cars in one day, they would break the Nissan record for most cars sold in one month. So the general manager comes and huddles everybody up and says, all right, all right, here's what we're gonna do. We gotta sell eight cars, eight cars, eight cars. And in this moment, my buddy Jose hears God say, tell him you will sell three cars. And my buddy who's never sold more than two cars raises his hand and goes, Boss, I will sell three cars today if you will go with me to a Christmas Eve service. 
And all of a sudden, he can't even believe the words that are coming out of his own mouth. And the general manager goes, if you sell three cars, I'll do whatever you want me to do. So my buddy Jose gets on the horn and he starts calling. And by 12 o'clock, he sold two cars. And then he goes in like this drought. Goes through this whole drought and he's like, oh my goodness, come on God, come on God, please. And then there are a few minutes from closing time and he sees some fresh prey walking onto like the lot and he gets out of his desk to walk up to a guy and another salesperson jumps on this guy and Jose goes, ah, so close. And when the salesperson goes, hey, uh, can I help you? The guy says, hey, is there a guy by the name of Jose here? And Jose's like, uh, th- th- that's me. He goes, hey, uh, a number of years ago, you sold a car to my buddy, and he just said that you were a man of integrity and that you'd get me a good deal. And so uh, I just need a Nissan Sentra. Can you help me? And um, I just want it any color, just the cheapest one. He sells that car. He can't believe it. Gets on his phone, texts his general manager, all of the 11 Christmas Eve services, and goes, which one are you coming to? I sold the three cars. And it's crickets from the general manager. General manager ghosts him, doesn't respond. They break the record, but doesn't respond. Next day, Jose shows up to work, and the general manager calls him into his office, pulls out his checkbook and goes, hey, we wouldn't have been able to break this deal, break this record without you. Here's a check, a bonus. How much do you want it to be? Jose's like, what? And right now, he's like, I have conviction but I also got the chance for cash. (laughs) But in this moment, Jose goes, no, no, no. Tell him you don't want the money. Tell him you want him to hold the deal. And he goes, I'm not gonna take your money. Which one of the 11 services are you going to? General manager slams his hands on his own desk and says, I'm not going to your stupid church and then gets up and walks out of his own office. And this is where Jose's brilliant. He goes, I'm just gonna wait him out. And so he stays put in his general manager's office. 15 minutes later, the general manager comes back and goes, all right, Jose, you're right, we had a deal. But here's my deal back to you. If I gotta go, then all of these jokers out here have to go. (laughs) And on December 21st, 138 staff and their employees from the local Nissan dealership showed up to Christmas Eve service. And when you walk into the Nissan dealership, there is a friends and family picture from the lobby of the church I used to work at. I'm telling you, friends. And all it was, all it was, was this prompting from God and Jose and Ananias could have said no. And God is prompting and God is whispering every day of every moment and you have the potential to say yes or to say no. And so God gives, God gives Ananias these instructions but if you know the scriptures and you know who Paul is, you can understand why Ananias is a little scared. Look what he says in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on his name. God, I know that you are so big. I just don't know if you've been watching the news lately. 
Do you know who this man is? I mean, he, he lives in Jerusalem, but he's willing to come 150 miles on horseback because he's heard that there's a small gathering of, of leaders in, in Damascus, and he wants to either beat us, kill us, imprison us. He just wants us to stop talking about your son. And you want me to go talk to him? Are you crazy, God? I don't know if you ever had these experiences. A number of years ago, I found myself in Palestine. And I was in Palestinian territory. And the hotel I was staying at had no Wi-Fi. But across the street at the hookah lounge, there was free Wi-Fi. So I thought to myself, I'm just going to walk across the street, stand outside, steal free Wi-Fi, and connect with my family back home. And as I'm walking across the street, out of the corner of my eye, I see Palestinian soldiers. And I hear God's prompting to go talk to them. There's four Palestinian soldiers, and they're holding big guns, and maybe a three iron away, there is the security wall kind of separating Israel from Palestine, and there's an Israeli soldier that has a gun on those four. And God's like, hey, go talk to them. And I'm like, hey, God, give me free Wi-Fi. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I find myself going, ah, oh, man, and I walk over. And what do you say at 1.30 in the morning? Hey, it's a beautiful night here in Bethlehem. Um, what's your name? They start saying their names. They ask me my name. I say, my name's Steve. And one of them looks at me and goes, Steve, like my favorite U.S. actor? And I'm like, who? Steven Seagal. And, I'm, and literally came out of my, the words came out of my mouth. God can use anything for good. And we start making this connection. And all of a sudden, as I'm interacting with him, I'm like, do you live in Bethlehem? They say, no, we live in Balada. And I'm like, what? Balada is this U.N. refugee camp where in 1.3 square miles, over 37,000 people live. Is, it is crazy. And I was taking a team from California there. And I said, hey, would you give us a tour? And they're like, yeah, we'd love to. I said, just don't bring your guns. They said, okay. And so we show up two days later and these three of the four Palestinian soldiers give us a tour. Now here's the crazy thing. When you get to the gates of Balada after the tour, right beside it is an old church. And I said, have you guys ever been to this church? Now these are, these are non-practicing, Arab, Muslims. I'm like, you ever been to this church? No. I said, come with me. I want to take you to this church. I walk him into this church, and you go down to the basement of this church, and there's a well. And the well still pulls up amazing water. It's unbelievable. And this well is really, really important because this is the well where the scriptures teach us in John chapter 4 that Jesus had to go to Samaria and he sat and had a conversation with a Samaritan woman. It's this well. And I start to talk and teach on John chapter four. We bring up water and I'm with a number of people from California and I'm sitting here going, hey, do any of you need truth, need, desire, peace? And, and in Hebrew, it's the word shalom, and in, the word, in Arabic, it's the word salam. And I'm telling you, the Bible teaches us that truth and peace and grace and love is found in Christ. And I said, does anybody want that kind of water? And the first three people to come forward were the Palestinian soldiers. 
We have this moment where they say yes to Jesus and it's unbelievable. One of them gives me like their senior picture, which was just so adorable. And, and literally, I, I used to as a, as a kid want the superpower to be able to read people's minds and then they created Facebook and I don't need that gift anymore. But, <laughs> but what's been so redemptive about Facebook is that I get to stay connected with these guys. And what was so amazing is I was walking away from that, it started from a prompting, go talk to these guys. And you know what I saw? I saw a difference. They're Palestinian, they got guns, this might not be safe, and all of a sudden, what God saw was heaven being enlarged, eternity being with these three. And I'm just telling you, in this moment, Ananias is going, God, are you sure you want me to go meet with this guy? Please, don't, don't, this could be a setup. And look what God says. But the Lord, verse 15, said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. I love this story because when you understand the New Testament, you understand that Paul wrote Books like Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd uh, Timothy. There are books that he wrote, and sometimes I often wonder, what if Ananias said no? What if Ananias said, I'm not going? I mean, yeah, maybe God goes to somebody else, maybe God goes to somebody else, but what if they say no? What if they say no? We might not have the power of Philippians, the beauty of Ephesians, the truth of Galatians. We might not have this to actually help us. And so often I hear within the church, man, we need more Pauls in our church. But let me just tell you, you don't get more Pauls in your church unless Ananiases decide to show up. And I'm here to tell you today that every one of you here can be an everyday Ananias. And you become an everyday Ananias when you decide to live an invitational life, a life that invites people into the greatest story ever. So how do you do it? Four ways, four ways to live an invitational life. Number one is it starts with how you live. To live an invitational life are people who live deeply with Jesus. Are people who wanna just understand more of him. They want to they like find their, their identity in Christ. They want to they know Jesus more. And the people who are true disciples, like Ananias were, someone who was devoted, had high desire to be like Jesus, man, they just can't contain that. They have to worship him. They have to tell people about him. But number two, they, they are, they're willing to show up. And when they show up, they show up with expectancy because they know God is already there. They show up at Starbucks with expectancy. 
Not just looking to get a cup of coffee, but going, God, how might you wanna use me here? I, I had a buddy of mine who uh, was interning with me. We decided to go to Barnes and Noble. And I said, hey man, um, we got the day off. We were, we were doing some teaching. I said, you, you, you and the other intern, there was two of them, um, you, you guys can choose to pick out a book, it's on me. And so they're looking through like the business and Christian living sections and we're kind of there and all of a sudden I hear this 21-year-old intern look to the, have this conversation with a woman in another aisle and, and I hear him say, excuse me, are you finding what you're looking for? And then I hear the woman say, no. And then he says, what are you looking for? And she says, I'm looking for a book on grieving. And then he says, what are you grieving? And she says, my 22-year-old son died six months ago. I just need a book to help me. And this 21-year-old intern goes, this is way outside my pay grade. And he goes, I, I don't know if a, a book, but I have a buddy here who might know. And so he comes and he tells me, and I, I recommend this book, Colors of Goodbye. It's an amazing book by September Vaudry. And so we end up trying to look for it. We can't find it. My other intern's there, he's just mute, he's not talking. And so we, we, we're looking, the Christian living section can't find it, and then all of a sudden we just say, hey, can we just pray for you? So we're in Barnes & Noble, lay hands on this woman, we start praying, and we get done with the prayer, and the mute intern opens his eyes and goes, there it is. And I'm like, what? The book. And I'm like, what book? The book you were looking for. And I'm like, you were praying with your eyes open. And he goes, maybe. And like, I look, and there it is. It's in the wrong section, the wrong order. We pull it out, we hand it to her. The woman starts weeping, and she goes, I feel like God sees me. And we go, he does. He sees you in your pain. He loves you, and he's for you. Friends, when you live an invitational life, number one, you live. Number two, you show up. Number three, you relate. You look to build relationships. This has only ever always been about people. And when you understand people's stories and you understand people's desires and understand people's pain and aches and you've built the relationship, it gives you the next way to live an invitational life where you can risk, where you can risk it all and where you can make an invitation. You can make an invite. I, I honestly sitting here never been to Kensington before, and I'm like, you're having Michael Jr. here with Dave and Ann Wilson? This is the easiest invite. If you've never heard Michael Jr., he is absolutely hilarious. I'm a big fan of this man, and I, I would be thinking, man, who could I invite to that night to learn about marriage, to laugh, to learn about relationships, to learn about God? Easy invites. And for my family, risk has become an acronym. If you actually wanna live an invitational life, you wanna be in everyday Ananias, you wanna embody the vision and mission of this church to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus, then you and me, we all must be willing to risk. So what is the acronym for risk? It's this, R, rescued people, rescue people. Rescued people, rescue people. If grace has wrecked your life, then it doesn't stop with you. It's gotta be given away. It's gotta be something that you've experienced and you get this chance to give it 
away. I remember for our 10 year anniversary, my wife and I took our family and my in-laws to Hawaii. I'd never been in Hawaii before. And we're out at this place called Napili Point. We're staying in this condo, but to enter into the water, you gotta go through like three condo associations, but we're, we're up on a cliff. And, and I remember one day, like I was just grilling and we're looking out watching whales breach and we're just grilling when all of a sudden I hear a woman scream, help! And I looked down at the cove and I recognized that the tides had changed. And twice a day when it was low tide, you could stand and put some goggles on and see Finding Nemo under the water. But then there would be a sea change and the tides would raise. And all of a sudden, I realized this woman couldn't swim. I saw a big wave starting to just begin to move into this cove. And I don't know what came over me, maybe it was the spirit of David Hasselhoff, but I just took off running. And I, I run, I jump over, like, and I'm coming down this cliff and jumping through like a condo association, jumping another fence, and I'm running as fast as I can. And all that I'm thinking about is my friends who were lifeguards. And back when they would take their towers, before they would do it, they'd gather around and they would say, not on my watch. No one's gonna die on our watch, not on our watch. I jump in the water and I start swimming and pushing as hard as I can and I'm pushing, I'm pushing. I get to this woman, I put her on my back and I start to bring her back to shore and I'm praying, not on her watch, not on her watch, not on my watch. I bring her down, she's not really breathing. I see her like six-year-old son crying. I see her junior high daughter crying and all of a sudden we're able to revive her. She starts to breathe and I have this amazing exhale and I'm standing there soaking wet. There's a dude with no shirt on and a corona and he goes, bro, well done. <laughs> and in this moment, I'm, I'm feeling like, I can't believe I just like saved someone's life. And then I look up at the cove where I had sprinted down and about 50 people from the condo were just standing with their arms folded watching. And in this moment, God whispered to me and goes, you ran all that way for someone you do not know. But in your actual real life, there are people that you know that are drowning in addiction, drowning in struggle, drowning in faith, drowning in their marriage, and you don't have that kind of courage. You're like them. And it wrecked me. I felt so convicted because I realized I had stopped inviting people into the greatest story. And I think sometimes we get to this point where many of us go, well, Steve, you probably, you probably are like Dave and, and have the, the spiritual gift of evangelism. I don't have that gift, which is usually what people tell me. But can I tell you, every spiritual gift leads to Jesus. If you have the spiritual gift of hospitality, you know what that is? That means that you create safe and secure environments for people to experience who? Jesus. If you have the gift of leadership, what is that? That means you're taking the values of heaven and bringing them into the ministry or organization or family that you lead so that people can experience who? Jesus. You have the gift of mercy. 
That means you are the hands and feet of who? Jesus. You understand every spiritual gift leads to Jesus, leads to good news. But some of you are like, Steve, you don't understand. You're probably an extrovert. You probably like people. I'm an introvert. I'd rather stay to myself. Let me just tell you this. Extroverts like skim the surface. They might know a lot of people. Extroverts could actually learn a ton from introverts by actually going deeper with a few people. All I'm saying to the introverts is this. You've got three or four people who you know, and some of them are people who are far from God. You have trust. Use that to make an invitation. Rescued people, rescue people. Number two, I, invitational fails. And this is something that we started in our church. We started celebrating when people actually made invitations and they were told no. Cause is, like you can go serve in like a care center or a soup kitchen and nobody goes, I don't want that food. You always feel good like handing someone a meal and they're like, thank you. And you're like, of course. But when you actually walk up to someone and go, hey, would you love to come to church? And they're like, no. Then you're like, did I do it wrong? And all of a sudden, this spirit of shame kind of comes over us, and I think it leads most of us to the sidelines. And so I said, you know what? What I want to start to encourage is that people have heard a prompting from God, and they said yes. And I want to celebrate that. And just because you said yes, and you made the invitation, and they said no, it's okay. You were being faithful and you don't know how God is actually going to use that. And so what ended up happening is we started saying, hey, we're gonna be a culture that celebrates invitational fails. And so we'd stop in the service and go, anybody got an invitational fail story? And one guy raises his hand, super financial guy, very cognitive. This guy goes, I got a story. I'm like, dude, tell me. And he, he stands up and goes, I was like sitting in my office doing my TPS reports, which I thought was funny. And he's like, I'm, I'm working on it. And all of a sudden my boss, who I've been praying for, he walks into my office. I look at my boss and I say, uh, what do you do on Sundays? My boss says, I watch football. He goes, well, do you wanna come to church with me? And my boss said, no. And then he just walked out. And the whole church was like, yes, you went for it. And we just began celebrating this. And all of a sudden, what we saw was more and more disciples hearing God's voice and being courageous. And what we began to see is people started saying yes. And families were blessed. Lives were blessed. And just because someone says no, if you get around a guy like Mark Burnett, the guy who started The Voice and Survivor, he pitches shows all the time and is told no. And he says, when I hear the word no, I just hear the phrase next opportunity. I'm just gonna keep being faithful. Keep being faithful. Rescued people, rescue people. I, invitational fails. S, here's my challenge for you, seven days. And you're like, what, what, what do you mean by this? I come here today to challenge you to have an only God story every seven days. I meet so many good and sincere Christ followers. When I talk to them, I go, hey, tell me what God is doing in your life. You know what they do? They tell me a story from 1987. <laughs> oh man, God was working then. 1994, God was on the move. And I'm like, you know what? I want a story from like the past week. I, I, don't, I don't have one. Can you imagine if we all had stories? Every one of us 
We're on the lookout to have an only God story every seven days. That means in one year, you'd have 52 stories. That means in five years, you'd have 260 stories. That means in 10 years, you'd have 520 only God stories. I went to college, I can do math. And here's the crazy thing. Can you imagine how big your faith would be? It would change everything. And when I walk up to like, and, I, and I'm, I'm traveling, I'm talking to people in the, air, in the airport, I, I see someone wearing a college football shirt, and I'm gonna, if, they're, if they like Georgia, I'm gonna mock them, or they like Alabama, I'm gonna say, get behind me, Saban. Like, I'm gonna make statements, and I'm trying to build connection, and I'm gonna talk about faith. And, and I think about, man, up, 20 dudes said yes to Jesus. 20 guys made first time decisions when Pastor Steve Andrews preached the gospel last night. And I go, that's an only God story, to have men actually say yes to Jesus, man, it could transform their families, transform their kids, transform their lives. That's an only God story. And when you have a desire to go, God, give me stories, then you find yourself on the lookout on a regular basis. Rescue people, rescue people. Invitational fails. Only God story every seven days in K. Knees and prayer. Every movement of God has started when a group of disciples were praying for God to move. They were praying. Uh, this was my car in college. 1983 Ford Country Squire station wagon, limited edition with the woody paneling. It looked like this. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. That meant I didn't have a date in college. But... I was given this car and I remember driving one day and God said, I gave you this car. I was playing college basketball. I had teammates who didn't know God. They were far from God. I was working in a local bar. I had people who didn't know God. I was also working at Pottery Barn. And like I literally, in this moment, just started to say, I gotta pray. And I named every seat. And I just started to pray over the seats. And my dream was that I was gonna fill that car and take some people to church. Most I ever got was like six or seven. I was a junior high pastor. And I'm telling these students, and I was reminded of the car that I had. I was telling these students, man, if, you, if your mom has a Volvo, that's a gift from God. Your dad's got a, a four-seater, that's a gift from God. Don't just show up to church by yourself. Start to pray over those seats, give them names, and ask God to give you the courage and the faith. We had a big event two weeks later, and I challenged the students, man, how might God use you? And at this event, something happened. I watched probably about 90% of the cars filled to the brim. But the last car that showed up was a 1983 Ford Country Squire station wagon, no joke. The dad gets out of the car, opens up the back, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. It's not legal right now. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. And the last kid, sixteen, jumps out of it. And he's got a beehive going due east. And he looks at me and goes, It's the miracle of the station wagon. And he rolls in. <laughs> and here's the thing: within six months, eight of those sixteen kids are getting baptized. And those eight kids, they go to their junior high school 
And they don't go as like eight junior high students. They go saying, we are gonna bring an uprising to our campus. And they begin to lead students to faith. And then they go to one of the most difficult high schools in the Grand Rapids area. And they show up, not as freshmen, but on a mission. And God uses them and uses these 50 or so freshmen to do a work on that campus. And I back it all up is because one kid had the audacity, the courage to be an everyday Ananias and pray over every seat. Kensington Church, God wants to use you. And when you begin to open your life to that, I'm telling you what, he's gonna bring people in your midst and God is gonna write only God's stories through you because rescued people rescue people. And you might have some invitational fails, but keep going and let God give you only God's stories and never stop praying for your friends, for your family that are far from God. Friends, let's stand right now because we are a church that has built our life on the way of Jesus, amen? Let's sing this together.